He had been training for this his whole life. He'd recited all the lines, practiced all the routines, been over countless rehearsals in his mind. Now it was time for the real thing. The night before, he couldn't sleep. He kept going over the routine in his head time and time again, making sure he remembered every detail. It had to be perfect. Because that's what God required of the one called to be high priest. The next day, he would put on the holy linen garments. And then after making a sacrifice for his own sin and a burnt offering to the Lord, he would enter the tabernacle, go into the inner chamber called the Holy of Holies. It was where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. It was where the very presence of God would dwell. And making sure he followed the exact letter of the law. He offered sacrifices to the Lord for the sins of the people of Israel. Now he knew this wouldn't be the last time he would offer sacrifices for sin. That actually there would be daily offerings that would not end. Because he knew full well that sin was still there. And it would always be there. That it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. But since this was the only way for the people to draw near to God, he would continue to do it. Until God called the next high priest. And the next. And the next. And the next. And the next. For 1,500 years, those would have been the thoughts of the one God called to be high priest, the one who offered sacrifice for sin for the forgiveness of the people. 1,500 years of separation between a holy God and the people he desired to be near. 1,500 years of the blood of animals being spilled. 1,500 years of ritual and routine and religion. Until one day, one who was called the Lamb of God came. He placed himself on a cross and sacrificed his own life, and he died. He was buried. But on the third day, he rose to life. His name is Jesus. He is supreme. He sits now in victory, a victory we can share. Christ is risen. If you're joining us this morning, I want you to understand we are in the middle of a series in the New Testament book of Hebrews together, and you can see from the banners there that this series is called The Supremacy of Jesus. And if you're following on your notes, if you want to use those message notes inside your bulletin this morning, we've come to this understanding through this book, and it's this. We've been saying this every week. If Jesus is supreme, which he certainly is, he is greater than all things we've been learning in this letter, then he deserves our whole life. He deserves our whole life. 
You see, when we say on this banner to my right up here, the, this is our mission as a church. If you're not familiar with it, we believe God is calling us as a church to declare war on shallow Christianity beginning with ourselves. And you know what shallow Christianity is? I know this all too well from my own life. Shallow Christianity is a willingness to give Jesus only a part of my life, not the whole thing. You, any of you relate to this, right? I'll give him a slice of the pie, but stay out of this, stay out of that, Jesus. But if Jesus really is who he claims to be, if that book you're holding in your lap, the Bible, is true, and what it says about him, then he doesn't just deserve a part of our life. He deserves the whole thing. And really, that's been the message of this series in Hebrews, right? Hebrews was originally written, understand, to a group of Jewish Christians. In other words, they were Jews who came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And so they put their faith in Him. And yet, now, while this letter is being written, they are being tempted to go back to giving Jesus just a part of their lives. Even worse, many of them were considering completely abandoning their faith in Christ. And the reason for that is quite simple. They had begun to face ridicule, persecution, hatred, suffering because of their faith in Christ. And while we don't maybe face those same things at the same level they do, we can certainly relate to that, right? And yet the author has been reminding us and them if Jesus is supreme, Giving him your whole life is worth it, no matter what it costs, no matter what it might cost you. So what we've seen in this letter is that this author has begun to compare Jesus. I mean, if you've been here, right, week after week, he's comparing Jesus to all these things that people are considering going back to. But he's showing them Jesus is supreme to the law. Why would you want to go back to the law? Jesus is supreme to the old priestly system like we saw in this monologue here done by Brian. He's supreme to that. Why would we go back to that? And this morning's going to be no different. We're going to discover that Jesus is supreme to the old sacrificial system. Why in the world would we ever want to go back to that when Jesus has claimed victory? Now, you might be asking yourself a couple of questions right now. I hope you are. The first question is, what in the world do sacrifices still have to do with us today? I mean, we live in this 21st century, Steve. I mean, am, I, am I clueless about this? We don't offer animals uh, to appease God anymore. And I would say to that question, you're absolutely right. But understand this. This is still the most important topic we could probably address this morning because at the heart of every single religion, at the heart of every single religion is this idea of sacrifice. This idea that I must bring something to God in order to earn His love, gain His approval, in order to be able to draw near to Him. Now today, we don't bring animal sacrifices, but we bring stuff, don't we? We bring our religious activities, we bring our good deeds, and we think those are the things that are going to draw us closer to God. And yet, I just want to tell you this morning, that is religion. Or I know religion's not popular today, so let's say that's spirituality. It is not Christianity, however. I want to show you this morning how Jesus Christ has turned that whole understanding of religion upside down. Now the second question you may be asking yourself is, why in the world are we talking about Christ's sacrifice on Easter Sunday? I mean, shouldn't I be talking about the resurrection? Did I get my dates wrong? And uh, to answer that question, I would say this, if you're falling on your notes, without Jesus' sacrifice, without understanding Jesus' sacrifice, 
We just can't know the victory of Easter. We can't know what we're celebrating here this morning if we don't first understand the whole picture. And so that's what we're going to attempt to do this morning, okay? And I want to invite you, just like we would any other week, if you brought your Bible with you, I want you to turn it to the book of Hebrews. That's the book we're studying right now. Chapter 10, starting in verse 1. If you're still getting used to where things are in your own Bible, Hebrews is almost near the back. In fact, I just encourage you, turn to Revelation, the last book in the Bible. Start turning to the left, and eventually you'll come to Hebrews chapter 10. If you did not bring your own Bible with you this morning, that's absolutely okay. We provide Bibles in the seats in front of you. And we say this often here, We'd really love for you to be a first-hander this morning. Get God's Word open in your lap, and you can find this on page 842. In fact, I'll just say to you, if you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take that as our gift to you this Easter morning. So in the rest of our time this morning, I want to talk to you about three things. I hope this is okay. First, I want to talk about the problem with religion. The problem with religion and then I want to talk about God's solution to that problem. And then finally, we're going to talk about the good news we can know because of Christ this Easter. Sound like an okay plan? Let's pray. Lord, I am all too aware that unless you choose to speak now, these next 30 minutes will be an incredible waste of time. So I pray for all of us that we could set aside our distractions. We could set aside the lunch plans we have after this, and we could put our hearts solely on you. Would you reveal yourself to us as a better sacrifice this morning, Jesus? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now before uh, we look at verse 1, I want to just say a quick word about the whole idea of the Old Testament sacrificial system. When I was uh, a kid, I tried reading through the Bible in a year, or actually it took me three years. Uh, some of you are on that plan, I know. Uh, and I would get to these sections in the Old Testament, and here's the question I would always ask. Why? God, why did you institute this whole sacrificial system? Have you ever asked that question? And I think if you can understand four things about the sacrificial system, you're going to be off to an amazing head start whenever you read about it in the Old Testament or even when it comes up in the New Testament. We're going to go through these quickly, but these are all on your notes. If you remember these four things when you're reading the Bible, you're off to a great start. Number one, sacrifices show that forgiveness is costly. They are to show us that forgiveness is costly. Number two, Sacrifices show the punishment due to sin is death. My sin. I am a, I'm a sinner. My sin deserves death. Number three, sacrifices show that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. And Jeff, on Friday night, if you were here, he did a great job on Good Friday showing us how that's true. You know, the shedding of blood that we see, you see if that, you can see that picture over there on the far right. It's the theme all throughout Scripture. And without it, there is no forgiveness. And then number four, this is really where I want to focus our attention this morning. Sacrifices point to our need for a Savior. They point to our need for something better. For something better. So whenever you're reading these passages in the Bible, and you're like, why is this here again? What are we going to remember? It's to show me that my forgiveness was costly. That the punishment due to my sin was death. That without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of my sin. And this is meant to point me to my need for something better. Something better. Alright? In fact, that's how Hebrews 1, or chapter 10 really starts in verse 1. Look what it says. It says, the law, 
And in our case, we're talking about the sacrificial system established in the Old Testament is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. Let's just pause here. Have you ever had this experience when you're at home alone at night or something? And all of a sudden you see the shadow come into your house and you get all afraid and you kind of creep around the corner. You're trying to figure out what's the source of this shadow. And 99 times out of 100, it's like a leaf on a tree and you're like, oh, why did I let it do that? Well, verse 1 is telling us, friends, that the whole sacrificial system, and I'm just going to tell you this, the entire Old Testament is a shadow. And what's a shadow? A shadow is something that is showing a greater reality, right? It belongs to something else. And the greater reality the Old Testament is pointing towards is Jesus Christ. It's all pointing towards Him. Verse 1 goes on to say, For this reason it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Listen, hear the argument right now. Forget about their day and the animal sacrifices. Our sacrifices still today cannot make us perfect. In fact, I would make an argument with you this morning. Isn't it true that our religious sacrifices, our religious deeds, our activities, our good works, they just make us feel more guilty? They don't make me feel perfect. They make me even more aware of my sin and my guilt. That's what verse 2 says. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? Listen. Doesn't that make sense? If it worked, if our sacrifices worked, we could stop offering them. But we can't, because they don't work. For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But that's exactly what religion does. It makes us feel guilty. Come on, I'm not alone in this, am I? Listen, I've shared this with some of you uh, before, but this was my idea of what Christianity was in the beginning of my life. I thought it was all about what I brought, what sacrifices I could bring to God in order to earn His love and His approval. I was a good kid. I was a really good kid. I was a pastor's kid, by the way, so that's a miracle, right? I was a good kid and a pastor's kid. How can you? But I was a good kid. And I tried. And I never felt that I could measure up. Because you know, I'd bring that, next, that sacrifice and the next day I'd blow it. So I knew I'd have to bring another one and another one and another one. It never cleansed me from my guilt. And I thought, if this is Christianity, oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. Our best efforts don't work, friends. Have you come to that realization yet in your life? You see, this wasn't even new to the Jewish people. The Old Testament is full of scriptures that share the futility of the religious sacrificial system. I'm going to share a few with you this morning. I could, I could list a whole number of them, but look at this one in Isaiah chapter 1 of 11. This is the Lord speaking. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams, and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats and religious activities and good deeds. I love that. It's like God saying, this isn't working for me either. <laughs> Hosea 6.6 6, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. 
And then maybe most famously, Micah 6, 6 through 8, many of you are familiar with these words. What can we bring to the Lord? What kind of offering should we give Him? Should we bow before God with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer Him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our own firstborn children to pay for our sins? Should we bring Him our religious activities, our good works, our deeds of earning and approval No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The problem is, I can't do any of that on my own. I can't do any of that on my own. Verses 3 and 4, the author sums up this whole thing. He says, but those sacrifices, the ones we bring still today, or just an annual reminder of sin. Isn't that what it does? It just reminds you of your sin. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats and good deeds and religious activity and any other human sacrifice you want to bring to God to take away your sins. And yet I am willing to bet in a room this side, there are many of us here who still believe that duty and obligation and religion and sacrifice is the way to God. You know why I believe that? Because there's something deep inside every single one of our hearts that believes that. Let me give you an example. Let's say you're out to lunch with a friend of yours, and what's the conversation? The waitress or waiter comes, brings the check. What's the next conversation you have right at that moment when the check comes? Come on, what's the conversation? I'll get this. No, I got it. I'll get it. No, I'll get it. Let's say your friend takes the bill this time. What are the next words out of your mouth? You tell me the truth. What are the next words out of your mouth there? I'll get the next one. That's right. Why do we say that? Because we feel obligated, right? I can't just accept your generosity for free. And that's exactly where religion comes from. Look at me, God. Look what I'm doing for you. I'm giving to the poor. I'm coming to church. I'm praying. I'm fasting. I'm doing all the things you say are required of me because this certainly can't be free. Skip down to verse 11 and read it out loud with me. It says, Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Religious activity. Good deeds, sacrifices, can't get rid of a deep down problem you know that you have, and I know that I have. It can't get rid of my sin. It can't get rid of my guilt. But just like that priest in verse 11, you see the priest, what does he do? Well, just like him, because day after day I come. Again and again, I bring him my sacrifice. He's hoping, beyond hope, that this will be the one that will accept him. He'll accept I call this, by the way, uh, I can't help but get this out of my mind, I call this the religious treadmill. How many of you know what a treadmill is? Some of you need to get to the gym, all right? There's like six of you. Here's a treadmill, just in case you're wondering what a treadmill is, okay? I'm going to make a confession to you this morning. I believe treadmills come from the pit of hell. Amen, right there. You know why? Because no matter how fast I go, No matter how hard I try, no matter how long I'm on that thing, I never get anywhere. 
and tell me that's not exactly how religion makes us feel. No matter how fast we go, no matter how many sacrifices we give, no matter how hard we try, it never gets us anywhere. Like a treadmill, we are left with our guilt and sin. Religion doesn't work. If you're falling on your notes, our religious sacrifices can't remove sin. We know it. God knows it. So what can be done about it? The answer is found in the rest of our text this morning. Would you read verse 12 out loud with me on your notes? It says, But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down as in end of story, wrap it up, we're out of here, turn the treadmill off. Amen, amen, amen. If you're on your notes, the sacrifice of Jesus did what our sacrifices never could. The sacrifice of Jesus did what our sacrifices never could. Listen, just like the priest that Brian was depicting earlier, uh, you know that they were never ever allowed, when they were performing their sacrifice to the Lord, they were never allowed to sit down. There weren't even chairs in the temple. You know why? What would it have meant if they sat down? That their work was done. But their work was never done. They're on the treadmill for 1,500 years. However, we are told here that Jesus, when he offered himself as a sacrifice for our sin, he sat down. Why? Go ahead. Because it's done. It's done. It is finished. He cried from the cross. Listen, if the Jewish readers were to return to this old sacrificial system, you know what they'd be saying? They'd be saying that Christ's once and for all sacrifice wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. And I want to tell you right now, if you hear anybody say that, you know there are forms of Christianity, right? That tell you Jesus' sacrifice wasn't enough for you. You still got to bring this or you got to bring that. I want to tell you right now, run from the hills if they say that. It was a once and for all sacrifice. He sat down at the right hand of the Father where he now sits in victory. Christianity says that God came in the flesh. His name was Jesus Christ. And he did what our sacrifices never could do. He turned off the treadmill of religion. He turned off the treadmill of religion. He sat down. He sat down. I don't know. I often wonder, you know, what's Jesus doing right now? He sat down at the right end of the... What's he doing sitting next to the Father right now? Well, we learned last week, if you were here, uh, one of the things he's doing is that he's interceding for his people. He is our great high priest, we've been discovering. And that means he serves as the mediator between us and the Father. That means we can go directly to God now. We have access to God. Let me sum that up for you. It means right now, this moment, he's praying for us. Wow. How awesome is that? What else is Jesus doing? Well, look at what verse 13 says. And since that time, since he sat down at the right end of the Father, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. He's interceding and he's what? Waiting. He's waiting. What's he waiting for? He is waiting for his enemies to be made a footstool for his feet and to save those who are waiting for him. Now I know if you grew up in church like I did, you go to Sunday school, we love to picture Jesus holding the lamb and he's nice and tender and compassionate. And while those things are true about him, you have to understand there's another picture of Jesus in the Bible. One we're given here. He, there's a picture of Jesus as a triumphant warrior. 
A triumphant king who's sitting upon his throne waiting for the day where he will come again and claim his ultimate victory. And the question I have for you is, are you ready for that? Are you ready for that day? Listen, why does all of this stuff matter? Why do we come to church week after week after week? Maybe you're asking that. Maybe you're interested. Maybe you're not. Maybe you wonder if this has anything to do with you, or maybe you're not. But i got to tell you what this verse says. It says, anybody who is against Christ, apathetic towards Christ, indifferent towards Christ, is going to one day be brought under his rule and reign because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he is coming again in victory. Are you ready for that? Hebrews 9, 27 and 28 say this, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Listen, i got to make it as plain for you this morning as possible, because otherwise I don't feel like I would have done what God has asked me to do. You are either for Christ or you are against Him. There's no in-between here. If he is who he claims to be, Lord of the universe, you're either for him or you're against him. And your decision about Jesus Christ is the single most important decision you will make in your life. Do you know him? Do you know him? Verse 14, for by one sacrifice he has made perfect. What? I'm going to do that again and you say that word because that's too much for me to understand here. Can you, all right? For by one sacrifice he has made... That was so weak. Let's try that again. Like you actually believe it. For by one sacrifice he has made... What? You know, we've been learning that word in Greek also means complete. He's completed us. He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. His sacrifice provided the solution to our perfection problem. Religion doesn't make us perfect. Only Jesus can do that. If you're falling on your notes, Jesus' sacrifice makes us perfect in God's sight. Your sacrifices don't. His does. That's not all it did, though. Look what else His sacrifice accomplished. Two more things. Verses 15 and 16. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, quoting from the Old Testament, This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. If you're following, number two there, Jesus' sacrifice means no more religion. Yay! Now it's a relationship. Now it's a relationship. He's given us, I love this, a new heart. You need a new heart? I needed a new heart. That's what I didn't have when I was on the treadmill. And he gave me a new heart. He gave me a new mind. It says he's written his laws upon our heart. This means, listen, it doesn't mean we don't bring God's sacrifices anymore. We still offer God sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. I mean, we still pray. We still read the Bible. We still give, right? But, listen, it means it comes from a different place now. It comes out of a motivation of want to and get to. He's written his law in my heart, and I believe when he does that. This is the best possible life. Obedience is the best possible life. God knows what's best for me. And I obey because I want to. I don't come to church on Easter Sunday because I think I have to or it's going to get some check mark up in heaven. I'm going to gain God's favor. No, no, no. I come to church on Easter and every week that I can because I've already got God's favor. 
And I want to celebrate that. I want to thank him for that. He's given us a new heart, friends. He has written his law on our hearts. It's not obedience for earning. It's obedience because of what he's earned. Because of what he's earned. Now you may be saying to yourself, like I did so many years ago in my life, I don't think I can live the Christian life, Steve. And you, wanna, you know what I want to say to you? You're absolutely right. You stink at it. <laughs> I stink at it. Give up. Give it up. It's the whole point of this passage. Give it up. In fact, I got some good news for you. Do you know the very first requirement of coming to Christ is that we give that whole thing up? It's where we say, God, I can't do this anymore. And he's like, finally. <laughs> finally, I can work with you. Now we're going somewhere. Now we're going somewhere. Second thing Jesus' sacrifice did for us is even more uh, equally amazing, I guess. Look at verse 17. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. How amazing is that assurance? I'm just going to ask you, I'll make a confession to you um, this week. How many of you um, know you dishonored the Lord in some way this week? And how many of you are like I am so often in my life? I wish I wasn't like this, but I'll be like on Wednesday, Lord, I feel really guilty about that thing I said yesterday. Sorry about that. And then Thursday, I'm like, Lord, you remember that thing I said on Tuesday? Still feel really guilty about that. Sorry about that. And then Friday, Lord, you know, that thing on Tuesday is really eating at me. Sorry about that. And Saturday, have you ever been there? You know what God's like? When I'm doing that, God's like, Steve, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't remember that. Does God forget our sin? No, it says right here something even better. He puts his sin away from us. Literally, that's what that means. He puts it away from us. Friends, what of your sins are forgiven in Christ? Greed? That's where you say, yeah. Lust? Anger? Envy? They're all forgiven in Christ. He puts them away from him when we come to him seeking it. Friends, the old sacrifices could never do that. Your sacrifices today cannot do that. But if you're on your notes, Jesus' sacrifice has wiped away our sin completely. In fact, the writer says this very thing in verse 18, and where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Do you hear that? That sums up the whole argument. All our sacrifices are no longer necessary when we look to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And uh, if that's true, we have some good news to celebrate this Easter. Look at what it means for us in verses 19 and 20. Therefore, if that's true, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is His body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let's just pause here. Wow, what a statement. What a statement. We can have confidence to enter that place that the high priest was only allowed to enter one time a year, that place that was separated by a curtain because a holy God cannot be in the presence of sinful people. 
we are now told by God Himself, come on in. Move in. Bring your stuff. Because we're going to be here together for eternity now. You're going to be with me for eternity now. We get to live in the presence of God forever. If you're falling on your notes, Jesus' sacrifice allows us to approach God with confidence. Enough. Enough of this fearful, uncertain attitude of, are my sacrifices enough? You can come boldly through faith in Christ. Listen, I heard a great illustration about this this week I want to share with you. Uh, how many of you have ever had to like, return an appliance or something to a store? And there's two ways to do that. There's, there's the way when you don't have the receipt, and there's the way when you do have the receipt. And how many of you, I hate going to do this when I don't have the receipt, because this is how I am, right? I go to the store, I don't have my receipt, and so I'm like, hey. <laughs> I know I don't have the receipt, but I was just wondering, and you're like praying before you walk in there, please be the right teller today, come on. <laughs> am I right? But you got the receipt. How are you when you get back? You go into that store. You're like, you're taking this back, baby. (laughs) Right? I got the guarantee right here. You're taking this back. Thank you. Have a nice day. And that's the difference. Right there, that's the difference between our sacrifices and Christ's sacrifice, right? In my sacrifices to God, I'm like, hey, will you receive this? Will you take this? In Christ's sacrifice, I'm like, I've got the guarantee. You know what the guarantee is? It's the resurrection from the dead. It's his resurrection from the dead when he sealed once and for all his death on that cross. It's what we celebrate today. You got the guarantee, friends? You see, in that temple where I was talking about, there was this curtain, right? And it separated us and God. But the Gospels tells us when Christ gave up his life, that curtain was torn in two. And I love how the description of that, it didn't happen from bottom to top as if some human being did that with their own power. It happened from top to bottom. It's as if God reached down from heaven and said, we're so done with this. We're so done with this. Enter confidently into my presence. And in fact, that can be your response this Easter if it hasn't already been your response. Read verse 22 out loud with me on your notes there. It says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. The curtain's been torn in two. Why do you want to spend the rest of your life standing outside when you have been invited in. Listen, if the Lord is maybe speaking to you this morning, you want to know what it's like to draw near to Him, this verse tells us four things that we need to do. I don't have these on the notes. You can circle them on this verse, though. It's a really important verse. Number one, you want to draw near to God? Okay, it says, come with a sincere heart. Just come to Him with a sincere heart. That means no ulterior motives, no half-heartedness, no, Jesus, I'm going to give you a part of my life. No, the whole thing. Come with a sincere heart. The picture I always have of this is, you know, if some of you are parents or grandparents, you remember the age of your kids when you get home from a trip and you'd walk through that front door and they are running to the door, daddy with their arms open wide. That's how God wants you to come this morning. Because he's waiting. 
with arms open wide. Number two, it says, come with full assurance of faith. Now listen, here's the key. It's not your faith. It's faith in what Christ has done. You don't have assurance in what you bring. You have assurance in what He has brought, in what He has done. But you come fully assured that what He did was enough. It was a once and for all sacrifice, and He sat down, didn't He? Because it's done. Number three, this is my favorite, we can come to Him with a clear conscience. You know why it's my favorite? Because it's never, it's something I never had early on in my life. I never had a clear conscience. I always felt guilty and shame. And now we know, though, how many sins does God remember? None. He's wiped them away. I can come to Him with a clear conscience. And then this last one is with bodies sprinkled, washed with pure water. That's a picture of baptism, friends. It's a picture of being cleaned outwardly and inwardly, right? Have you ever been so clean that it hurt? You know, you just like rub, you're some stain or spot on your body, and you rubbed and you rubbed and you rubbed. You ever been that clean? Religious activities never get us clean, do they? There's not enough soap in the world. But we're told in the Bible that the blood of Christ, which was poured out on Good Friday for us, cleans us as white as snow. Jesus puts on his robe of righteousness on all those who call out to him, all those who call his name, friends, who draw near to him. This is called imputed righteousness. Listen, Christ's righteousness or his purity given to me simply by faith. That's amazing. And that's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll close with this story. There's a pastor by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he used to ask people this question. He'd say, are you a Christian? And so many times people would say, and I still hear this today, this was my answer when I was younger, well, I'm trying. And he'd say to that, in other words, you have no idea what a Christian is. You see, for those of us who are still trying, we're bringing the sacrifices, we're on the treadmill, we're trying to be a good person. I want to tell you this morning, the good news of Jesus Christ is that he has put an end to that forever. No trying will ever get you there. The only thing that will get you there is drawing near to Christ with a sincere heart, with full assurance of faith, with a clear conscience, and with bodies washed pure. Have you done that? If you're falling on your notes, we close with this question. If Jesus is a better sacrifice, and he is so much better, will I draw near to him in faith this Easter? Will you? Let's pray. Lord, how can we ever thank you for what you've done You've done what we never could do. And I pray for my friends in this room this morning who maybe have never heard that before. Or maybe they have and it's just never struck their heart. Lord, I pray there would not be any hindrance right now for them to draw near to you. No sin is too great. No past is too messed up. You are waiting with arms open wide. I pray that they would come to you with a sincere heart, Lord, and know you are waiting, that they could come to you with full assurance of faith, not in their own works, but in the work of Christ on the cross, that they could come knowing that a clear conscience waits them, 
That there is nothing that you will not put away. There is no sin too great for your forgiveness. And that they would come finally experiencing the first time in their life what it means to be clean before the Lord. No more guilt, no more shame. Lord, work in our hearts now this morning, we pray. Amen.